the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the Tiger? It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rushed out of the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Thursday the 18th, and you're tuned in to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Happy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Good morning, fellas. Morning. Good morning. How we doing? Well, Parker, how are you doing with your car? I mean, you got in here today. Yeah, we're, we're back. It's better, so it turned out to be not as dire of an issue as once thought. So the issue lied within the uh, pad and the brake light switch. So basically what it was doing to my car was saying it was breaking the entire time when I wasn't breaking. So it was why all the issues were happening with it's why my car battery died over the night yesterday. And also a uh, shout out for Luke for making the trip up to good old Winchester to jump the car back up. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, we got to figure it figured out. So we got a uh, temporary fix on it right now. So they didn't have a uh, make for the brake light pad at the garage i was at yesterday i still don't even know if that's a real thing i just looked it like up and pad? didn't see anything no Break it's like pad. it's like the pad that go to the end of it. it's kind of like basically it's trigger to kick into effect so right yeah the hyundai dealers sending the uh correct pad over to the garage today and it'll be i guess fully remedied mm-hmm. today, so you know that that trip was a little bit tumultuous because i tried to roll the dice and try was it checkers chicken horrible oh you tried checkers oh my god you went to checkers was... and didn't get a burger you have to get a burger. Is that your first time there? But it's Obviously. checkers chicken, right? I mean, no. you get chicken. No, it was horrible. Burgers and fries at checkers. Man. Okay, that I mean that was <laughs> the, they have funnel cake fries that are really yeah, good. Yeah, their fries oh, well, are. Why do I find out about this now? We got to let people know that you're going <laughs> to new places. You could have told me. Yeah, you let people know you're going to new places. We can I mean, help you out. I mean, it was just it was the worst fast food experience I think I've ever had. It was just like eating a brick of sodium. Well, checkers is a double edged sword because if you get their burgers, they don't do like normal cheese. They do like the cheese whiz type of thing. Oh, so they get pretty messy pretty fast oh. if you get a big one. But the fries, I mean, I've gone out of my way to go to Hagerstown just to get the fries. The fries were pretty good. Oh, the that, fries that are, is fair. Fries are top notch, but good. Yeah, you guys had a uh, sneaky adult day yesterday, Luke. You had to use uh, <laughs> jumper cables for the first time on the, in the new car. To be fair, I've jumped cars before. I just not with so get. <laughs> Not it, it, with batteries is what I meant. Um, <laughs> the thing about the the car that I drive is the battery for it is underneath the wheel, uh, so they run extensions up so you can hook up the the jumper cables. Mm-hmm. I had also never jumped a car. The listeners out there can laugh at this in my inexperience, and had the car that I was jumping uh, car alarm immediately go off. It's just probably the way it was when it died. I don't know, oh, yeah, but it like it, so. it, it like it started going off, and I'm like, "That's it! I just fried my engine." I <laughs> We're was done. Like, what What is this? Wait, your alarm went off? My, no, his alarm. My, my alarm but was going was, off. So I know, cut it off. It was done. I, yeah. I'm just in the back of my mind. I'm thinking if I connect this, you know, and you know, black the red to red, black right, to black. Right, but right, you're yeah. thinking one false move, and I just fried my everybody's my gone. car, and I, I hooked it up, and it immediately started blaring. So I yanked the cable off, and I was like, "That's it! It's it's over." Oh yeah. my gosh, man! Good thing <laughs> I wasn't there. Yeah, good thing you you would have had a good laugh if you were there. I would have had a good laugh because I would have let you young bucks figure it out. 
And that's, I, a learn, that's a learning exercise. And it, it had prompted one of the, and I've apparently found this out online, I guess the listeners, if they want to weigh in on this. So I was told, and I, on further review with my dad, he said it really doesn't matter as much. It's red to red, black to black on the battery. You can mm-hmm. do that. But some people recommend that the car that's dead, mm-hmm. you don't put it on the black, you put it on any random piece of metal. Because what they say is there's a one in a you know thousand, ten thousand chance it could spark and it'd be a problem. Right. That you ground it with something that's not on the battery. We ended mm. up just putting it battery to battery. Right. But uh, I'm curious if the listeners had heard that because then I go online and find out it's like the biggest debate among people <laughs> yeah. in history. Car history. I personally wouldn't do that. Is, but... is what you do with the black cable that goes to the car that's dead. So. If anybody has an opinion, I mean, it works. You know, yeah. So. Hey, if it works, it works. Even and you know your car alarm works now too. There you go. So <laughs> count that thing. as a win. And you were able to drive your car in today. So good work, fellas. Good work. Now looking at the sports landscape around the Panhandle, not just the fast food and the car landscape around the Panhandle. <laughs> we had some big games yesterday. One of which was right here on WPM and WCST. So what 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 was going on yesterday, Luke? So Jefferson finished the regional sweep of Hedgesville 10 to 5 yesterday they beat him in the first game on Tuesday that one was uh had a flair for the dramatic um Hedgesville scored the first five runs and Jefferson scored 10 unanswered to come back and win including a grand slam from Taylor Presley um yesterday was a little bit more comfortable for Jefferson they throw it was interesting uh that coach Waters had talked about this their ace is Becca Munslow. She's thrown probably 70% of their innings this season and through all of their innings in postseason play last year when they won a state championship. But she said this year she wanted to do a better job of getting more pitchers ready to throw if needed. So Alyssa LaGreco pitched game one and went four innings. Yesterday, Shelby Harris pitched and went the distance and does give up five runs, but she missed a lot of bats. She struck out five, I believe. Uh, Jefferson got the first run of this game. Chloe Cowan drove in Harris. Hedgesville responded with two runs in the bottom of the first, but then after that, Hedgesville dominated. They went up 8-2. to two. Um, Hedgesville got some runs late and tried to chase Harris from the game. A really key moment for them, unfortunately, for Hedgesville. They had two on at the time. They were trailing by five. They had runners at second and third, and Gracie Brown hit a line drive right to the third baseman, and she was able to double up the runner. If she puts that one down the line, you know, two feet to the left, you're talking about a three-run game, and maybe things change. Um, but Jefferson is the 2022 state champions. They get a chance to go down and defend their title. It's not three consecutive seasons in a row that Hedgesville has made it to a regional final and lost twice to Jefferson and once to Washington as well. I got to give them a lot of credit. You know, there was, you know, some, some tearful hugs and goodbyes from Hedgesville players in the region, but even up until the last out of the game, there was a resolve that this team had. They were still cheering, smiling, trying to work their way back into the game. I have a ton of respect uh, for Kelsey Van Dyne, who continued to battle. She started this game in the circle, got pulled for Brown, and then got put back into the game to pitch, which is just a very difficult thing to do. Brenna Collis as well and the other seniors. So, I mean, it's an unfortunate way the season ended for Hedgesville, but still one they can certainly be proud of. But congratulations to Jefferson because, again, two years in a row they claimed this region and have a chance to go down and compete for a state championship. And you were able to catch up with Coach Waters after the game. Last night we were talking about how we need to come out um, hitting early and staying behind our pitchers, um, which we did. Uh, We did a good job of. I think we scored one in the first inning. I think close to every inning, every other inning we were scoring. So um, that was our focus tonight is just to get the bats rolling. So Uh that's what we did. Uh, and similarly, Coach, yesterday you said you, you went with Alyssa because you wanted to develop some more depth pitching uh, possibilities going late into the season. Same thing with Shelby tonight, and are you pleased with her performance? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, Shelby's a 
just she steps up all the time whenever we need her and um she did excellent i'm sorry she did excellent um you know just um with our little bit less experience we just hope they can go three or four if we need her but Shelby made that seven tonight and she was able to do that because the team was hitting behind her Alyssa probably could have done something similar if we would have been hitting earlier so uh and it's not just what she did on the mound it's a triple shy of the cycle a couple of singles and that home run no doubter and a double i mean you get that production out of your number two hitter it, it makes things pretty easy doesn't it yep yep exactly and that's why she's um up there in the lineup where she's at um she's been a great hitter for us for, for four years now so, and she's really proven it in her senior year, so we're proud of her. Talk about how difficult it is to go back-to-back, -to, -back, to win back-to-back -back regions, I should say. I mean, this is a tough area. You have to go through a lot of competition for you guys to do so and win your 21st game. It takes a, a lot of work in the offseason, I'm sure, to get to this point. Yeah, yeah, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of focus. Um, that's where we were kind of a little off these past two games, um, but they brought it today. Um, just staying focused. I mean, it's hard for us to get past sectionals um, just because we – the competition is growing in this area, so it's, it's exciting softball. Uh, and take me through the next couple of the days then. You guys obviously geographically have to travel pretty much further than anybody to get down to Charleston. What does practice look like and when do you think you guys will go down? Yeah, so um, we'll be practicing the next uh, three or four days, whatever, how many ever days except for Sunday. Um, then we got to uh, get on the turf. We play on turf fields down there, so um, adjusting to that. Um, and then I believe we traveled down on Tuesday, but uh, they had me question it, so now I got to go back and look. <laughs> so what do you think? You think they got a chance downstate? You think uh, you know with the travel and how hard this uh, section and region has been for them? You think they got a shot once they get down there against the rest of the state? Yeah, I really think so. I mean, uh, Beckham Munslow is a special pitcher, and now they've got two other arms at their disposal. They hit the ball well, top to bottom. Um, you know, Taylor Presley's in a little bit of a slump right now. She gets going with what Harris can do in the middle of that lineup. You know, Chloe Cowan as well. I mean, they just rake from top to bottom, have good at-bats, run the base as well, do all the little things right there, good defensively, uh, and they've got experience. Um, it, it's it's tough for panhandle teams. I talked about this on the broadcast last night. I mean, they have to travel further than anybody to play oh, at yeah. these state tournaments. They could, mm -hmm. they could conceivably fly if they wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> down to Charleston. But, I mean, especially because you got to get on a bus because it takes the average person about, for what, four and a half hours to get to Charleston from here. And think about it's on a bus, so that's five. Uh, and I, I don't know. I think you just go down there with a little bit more of an edge as opposed to a team from Charleston that, you know, gets up and drives there from their house. So I, I like the odds of Jefferson going into postseason play. Um, and I, I think Coach Waters has got this program playing very, very high level softball at a very important time of the season. Well, I mean, they've went through and steamrolled two really good programs yeah. in Washington and Hedgesville back to back. You get that momentum coming into the state tournament. You're defending a championship. And it seems like they're clicking on all cylinders right now. We mentioned it a couple of days ago. It felt like Hedgesville threw their absolute best punch at Jefferson, and it still wasn't enough. They're operating on a level right now. It's going to be tough for anybody to really knock them off a perch. And if you look at it on paper, yeah, you would say Jefferson's probably the favorite to win another state championship this year. Is there a team out there that can really give them that punch that can knock them down for even a game in a series? Because we've talked about it, Washington is a state is a state tournament level team. They just have the unluckiest draw in the state of West Virginia <laughs> of all people. Hedgesville, a borderline state tournament team, if not a state tournament team. Again, a bad draw. You're going up arguably against the best team in the state. Jefferson's got the better's odds to win this state championship once again because they're just operating on a really high level right now. 
So what do you think? Let's transition now to baseball because that's really starting to get going too. You got the region games coming up next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll have them right here on WPM and WCST. Uh, I mean, you think it's Jefferson's region to lose? I think I don't know. I, that one's a little bit tougher. I think Jefferson's. They were the top seed, so people would think that. But the the buzz around this series is a little bit closer than it was around the softball series. To be frank, you know, people weren't sure what version of Hedgesville was going to show up. Now, after the first game, we knew that Hedgesville really came to play. But before that softball game was played, people thought that Jefferson was going to take that series rather easily. What's interesting about this series, this regional, is uh, Wednesday's game. <laughs> Because I was talking to some of the athletic directors, and they might have to play this game at 1 o'clock in the afternoon because Hedgesville graduates that day, if there is a Game 3, which I wonder what that would do to Psyche because you think about it, I mean, you play a game at 7 o'clock the, next, the last night, um, and, and you it got goes the biggest until, day yeah. coming up in your graduation. Exactly, but that's the, the that's a great point. You got the emotional angle, but you finish a game at nine o'clock. You get back home. You go to bed at eleven. You know, you get up at seven the next morning, and you're playing baseball four hours after that. I mean, it's 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 going to be interesting to see psychologically how those teams are able to handle that. But the thing I'm the most excited about, and I know as soon as I say this, it won't happen. You have an opportunity to see the matchup of two of the best pitchers in the state, not just in the Panhandle, and Lane DeLauder uh, and Caleb Fletcher in Game One. And I really, really hope we're not deprived of that. I know, I know people want to move around their pitching and do whatever. Um, Lane DeLauder, who Parker got to see up close offensively, having the biggest hit of the season for Hedgesville. I mean, the kid's six three, six four, throws incredibly well, and, and Fletcher misses bats like nobody you've ever seen, and he's got a sub one ERA. So you've got a clash of titans there, and then you think about all the other pitches you throw into the mix, and Jackson Ruest, of course, and Tanner Matthew from Hedgesville. They've got more mileage on their arms in the postseason than the Jefferson starters do just because it was a little bit of a tougher section. But I'm really looking forward uh, to the pitching in this series. You know, Ryan Kelly, Riley Morgan, uh, Shipe as well as somebody that can come in, uh, Hefner for Jefferson. I give the edge to Jefferson because I love the way they run the bases, and I think they've got a couple more arms. But, you know, Lane DeLauder could come out and throw a two-hitter, and then Hedgesville's up one nothing, and then all of a sudden they flip the series on its head. So this one, I think, is going to be incredibly competitive. And I think the big thing you got to take in this series is, would you rather take the team that's had the extended rest, or would you rather take the team that's riding off of a high-momentum swing? And that's what you got between Jefferson and Hedgesville right now. We've been talking NBA playoffs. It's basically, would you rather take the team that just swept somebody or the team that just won a thrilling Game 7 and taking that momentum into a series? Which one would you rather go with for that? But it's going to be a tough series. I I would like to see this go to three games. I think it has the high potential to go to three games. Slight edge to Jefferson just because I think the rest that they've got right now is going to help them. Their arms are fully healthy, and then you're going to have to turn around some of the other guys for Hedgesville and throw them pretty quick. It's going to be a tight series, though. This one's going to be fun. And again, winner of this goes to the state tournament. And I think winner of this has a really good shot again to go down there and try and win this. These are two highly competitive teams and it's going to be a fun one. This is going to be a good series. Two well-disciplined teams, two of the best coaches in the state of West Virginia going against each other. This is, this is high ticket baseball right here. You love it. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point that, you know, there's a lot happening in those two days, especially if you end up having to play that game at one on Wednesday because of graduation and things. And, you know, a lot's happening for those youngsters over there at this time. But, I mean, I think they'll be able to turn around and be able to play pretty well. I mean, what? Uh, you remember being, what, 18, yeah. 17 years old? You can wake up, you can go to bed at 1 
a.m., wake up at 5 a.m. and be ready to go for the whole day. So I think it's going to be a good series also, nonetheless. And we'll have those games, all the games, right here on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. You can get in touch with us. Tweet us at EP, News, at EP Sports Network. You can also text us, 304-263-4321. We'll step aside and be back with more on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. Heard on the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Nicewinner. Alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. You can get in touch with us. You can tweet us at EP Sports Network. You can also text us, 304-263-4321. If you head over to our Twitter page, at EP Sports Network, you can find the uh, interview we had with the Vice President of Athletics over at Shepherd University's Chauncey Wimbush yesterday. And Parker, you were on the phone for it. Uh, you were listening to it. You got a couple good questions in there. But uh, what was your thoughts, kind of third-party listening to that yesterday? Well, the big oh, and again about the, it, it was about uh, the potential of a new video scoreboard uh, being uh, in honor of the Lewick family, Al and Sarah Lewick, um, there at Shepherd University. Well, the big takeaway I have is absolutely this is something that Shepherd has needed at its facility for a while, and it's good that it's getting implemented. It's good that it's going towards a family that's supported Shepherd Athletics for such a long period of time. The Lewick family, it's a great way to honor them. And it's it's gonna look really good no matter where it goes. I I from it sounds of it, I'm starting to think it's probably gonna head towards a section of the bridge crew. Which, I think we all know where it's gonna go. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we all know where it's going. as as much as we love and appreciate the bridge crew, and Shepard loves and appreciates the bridge crew, I think it just makes the most sense at the end of yeah. the day. And as as hard as it is to give up that view, it's it's probably gonna be going out that way just because of what we. Found out the next probably big project, if it gets to that point for Shepard, is going to be the redoing of the Boone Field House, which mm-hmm. I think that is also going to be a really important project, too, to really buff those facilities. And again, the big thing is, too, that the athletics at Shepard have been absolutely fantastic over the past three to five years. We've talked at length about the guys that have just gone to the NFL with Bajan, Fisher, Walker, and Brown. Bretton Doyle's doing great things with the Colorado Rockies right now. So, Eyes, more eyes are getting put on Shepard as not only a team in the area that is doing well, a team all across the nation in Division Two is doing really well in sports. So people, more eyes are going to come to that. More potential donors are going to come to that. And once this project gets done with the scoreboard, which I'm 100% sure it's going to get done, so, mm-hmm. many, so many people support Shepard Athletics, and they do so fantastic with that. I'm excited to see it implemented whenever it will be. And really, the improvements and I, just tip of the cap to Chauncey. He's done a fantastic job as vice president of athletics over at Shepard. He's been doing so great, handles everything so well, and yeah, I think it really helps too that he's been in that position before. He's been an athlete at Shepard. He's he knows that and his experience with it, as, and it's really implemented well into the programs at Shepard. So it, it's going to be exciting whenever it gets implemented. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, it'll certainly make Ram Stadium look you know filled out. If you will. Now, that being said, it is, I think, one of the coolest parts of a Rams game at Rams Stadium on a Saturday, especially a big game, really any game. There's people up on the bridge, but especially a big, big game when you got, you know, two, three rows of people, you know, standing up there. It just adds that atmosphere. Now, with that being said, I was trying to do some investigation on Google Maps yesterday on where it could potentially go there uh, in front of the bridge. And I guess if they put it, it's going to be pretty big, right? So if they put it pretty much right behind the goalpost up towards uh, to where it kind of touches those pine trees there on that one corner, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. across mm-hmm. from our booth, Yeah. Um, those, there's still going to be a little spot that you can stand 
and watch from the bridge. Now, with that being said, that'll be a lot more controllable spot for them to, you know, be able to do whatever they need, maybe block the view, whatever, whatever. But uh, I think it'll look it'll look pretty cool. Now, we did get a text during Panhandle Live yesterday uh, when we were talking about this a little bit, and somebody asked uh, about a parking garage. They said they need to put a parking deck in Shepherd on the campus or in the town somewhere, and that would bring, of course, a lot more people in, yada, yada, yada. But I was thinking, there's literally zero place in Shepherdstown to put a parking deck. They... I can't think of one off the top yeah. of my head. Zero. There's a They'd couple different grass spots. on the lot across to the stadium, and that would just be a mess. I mean, that would mm-hmm. shut down activity for... Yep. Yeah. I mean, I agree parking there is rough. Yeah, it but is. It's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> it is pretty brutal. But, uh, Luke, when we were talking with uh, Chauncey yesterday, he brought up a good point about um, enrollments in a lot of these schools. I mean, the Mountain East and uh, the PSAC especially, and I'm looking here, and I couldn't remember the date, but it was back in 2021. Six different uh, Pennsylvania system schools, if you want to call them PSAC, what have you, um, they had to merge because of that lack of enrollment. And in Pennsylvania, there are just so many schools and so many different people competing for different things. But according to Chauncey, it seems like Shepard's in a pretty good spot. Yeah, that was the biggest takeaway, I think, for me was asking him about that because we've heard, frankly, that there are colleges all across Pennsylvania and even in West Virginia uh, that are on life support in terms of enrollment. College enrollment is down 10% across the board, across the the whole country because of the pandemic um, and because this generation just isn't as big as the millennials. Uh, And trade schools are popular now, which is great. I Mm -hmm. mean, you can't fault somebody wanting to go to be a plumber or a welder or make good money right out of trade school. Mm -hmm. So these schools are struggling to meet their enrollment quotas. And the way that a lot of schools have done it in West Virginia is athletics. You look at Division II schools, especially in the Mountain East Conference, and well over half of their enrollment are from athletes. But then athletic departments are getting their budget slashed because there's just not that much total money. Because of it, they have to take scholarships away from their athletic programs, and then their enrollment drops, and then enrollment drops even further. So it was good to hear him say that Shepard's enrollment was back to a pre-pandemic level. It's a little bit different. And well, all due respect, I can say this in the panhandle because we're not local. It's easier to get a non-athlete to come to school at Shepard because of its location, because of its departments, its education, it's a beautiful campus, than it is to, say, Glenville. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, you're in a very good location here geographically to go to school. So they have some advantages <laughs> that other schools have in keeping their enrollment up. But it's also things like this that that, that draw people to – I don't think that a history major is going to come to Shepherd because they've got a video board, but it's going to help <laughs> you know their, their, their athletics. And when athletics are good, there's more money total for the university, yeah. and everybody wins. And there are schools that won't come out and say it that are in West Virginia and in Pennsylvania that may be two years bad enrollment years away from closing their doors. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Shepard's one of them. I think they're in a very good spot. I mean, what was it, Ohio Valley out in uh, West Virginia that just shut down kind of out of nowhere? It was that kind of thing. I know uh, a couple of kids, I think it was Ohio Valley, OVU. That well, would be Ohio well, Urbana Valley. had to shut down because their, right. cause their funds were down and, that, and the pandemic ultimately cost them their university because mm-hmm. of what was going on with enrollment. They didn't have the numbers, couldn't support it, and that's why Urbana had to shut down. Well, if you missed any of that conversation with the Vice President of Athletics of Shepherd University, Chauncey Wimbush, yesterday right here on Panhandle Sports Live, you can listen back to it over on our 
Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page or also at EP Sports Network. Now, I should have brought this up, but I didn't think about it until after he was gone. I think their next big project needs to be getting new speakers in the Butcher Center. Oh, my goodness. Yes. They need, oh spe- goodness. They need new yes. speakers in the Butcher Center in the worst way because that environment's good nonetheless. Then you get some good speakers with some music, and, of course, the PA is going to do his thing. So, uh, yeah, they need speakers in their stat. They got the new lights last offseason, so, and it certainly helped. But like I said, if you missed any of that, listen back to it over on EP Sports Network on Twitter. We'll step aside a few minutes. We'll come back and we'll talk about the Heat and the Celtics. Man, you know, I, I might be all in on the Heat now, Park. Might be all in. It's Jimmy Butler season. It is. It come is back Jimmy when Butler Parker season. Stone will say that Jimmy Butler should be the greatest Heat of all time. Oh, yeah. Top two. <laughs> top two. Top two, and he ain't two. <laughs> I, I hate Jimmy Butler. Is he, what is he? Top, if you would put him in the Celtics, he top three. <laughs> Is Jimmy Butler better than Jason Tatum? I call him. <laughs> well, we'll step aside and be back after this on WPM and WCSD, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP Sports Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. The Eastern Conference Finals Game 1 was last night, and the Heat take the lead in the series, 123-116. to It was an interesting game. We were talking about it during the break. Joe Mazzulla, he's getting some flack for it. Of course, Jimmy Butler had a great game, 35 points. He's pretty much unconscious there towards the end of the stretch, uh, and he's getting a lot of good buzz. So, Parker, we can go ahead and start with you if you want. You're a Celtics fan, 123-116. You know, you look at that third quarter that we were talking about where the Heat uh, win 46-25. That's really the end of the game. And, then of course, Jimmy Butler does Jimmy Butler things. So, as a Celtics fan, what's your takeaway from game one? Are, are you pushing the panic button yet? No, I'm not pushing the panic button because, again, it's just game one. There's time to figure it out. Let Miami spend all their arsenal early, and then Boston will take care of business, I think, at the end of the day. Jimmy Butler is the driving force of the Miami Heat, and the Miami Heat will only go as far as Jimmy Butler can take them. I think Boston is the more talented roster, and we have said that about Miami in this series against Milwaukee, and you could argue that against the Knicks, too. The Knicks, I think their biggest problem was they didn't have that person to take over a game like Jimmy Butler can. I don't think Julius Randle can do that. I love Jalen Brunson, but I don't think Jalen Brunson could do that at this level of his career. Jason Tatum and I think Jalen Brown in a pinch can be that person to be the answer to Jimmy Butler. They just have to find somebody to put on him consistently because they had Malcolm Brogdon guarding Jimmy Butler at times in this game. And I don't know why we have Malcolm Brogdon guarding Jimmy Butler, but basically it boils down to if you stop Jimmy Butler, I think you can stop the Miami Heat. Game two is a must win game for Boston because if they go down 2 0 and they have to take the series to Miami, it, it, they're probably going to have to take it to seven games at that point. But big takeaway I want to say is a lot of people weren't able to actually catch the ending of this game because uh, YouTube TV actually crashed during this game. Did you guys see that? Man, how does that feel when it crashes and then you look at the uh, money it takes out of your account every month? Good, good times. <laughs> yeah. Good to, and also, this is, a, this is the carrier for NFL Sunday ticket, everyone. Mm-hmm. So they, apparently, they uh, claimed that it. It, it shouldn't be a problem in there, and it was just a <clears throat> miscast issue. I cannot wait until week one, Sunday Night Football, and oh that whole goodness. thing goes down. Oh and then all that money, that, what, $700,000 that people were spending to get that NFL ticket down on YouTube, and it all crashes. Can't wait. So apparently it boiled down to malfunction with a YouTube TV and TNT was the issue, because I think it was <clears> – <throat> I don't know if it was affecting Warner Brothers 
uh, stuff or if it was just TNT or TBS. People or, are saying that for the majority of the viewers of that on YouTube TV, it got stuck in an ad loop for The Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that what happened to you? Uh, there was a good portion of time it was The Little Mermaid. So it was... Uh, not fun, and also I'm not looking forward to that movie. By the way, since we brought it up, <laughs> it looks it looks bad. Really, I would be concerned if you were like waiting in the doorstep to go see Fired that on opening day Disney adult with, with the with the oh, t shirt on. I could see Parker being a Disney adult. I could, I could please please don't wish that on me. You're getting fired up to go down to Disneyland with the years on and stuff. No, is and, it and Disney you, World in Florida or Disneyland? World Disney World. Disney World. Disneyland is California. And like you said, people are really going after Joe Mazzola in this game. I think there's some deserved criticism. The two moments that define this game, one's not a moment, it's the entire third quarter. Uh, Miami dominates the Celtics 46-25, to and Mazzola doesn't take a timeout the entire quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, four and a half minutes left, and the Celtics cut the lead down to five. If I remember correctly, they turned the ball over on four of their next five possessions. And you just can't have that. I mean, we need to have a conversation about the way that the Celtic roster is constructed. And I know that injuries and trades and the fact that, you know, the Kyrie Irving situation from two years ago mean that this isn't the best position this roster could be in. But you're basically playing two centers. Jalen Brown is a four. And I know Tatum has position versatility and Brown also has defensive position versatility. But you can't bring a forward off the bench with this team. It's Brogdon, White, and Pritchard. You know, they have a lack of... Uh, adaptable length on the perimeter. That's not Jason Tatum uh, and Jalen Brown. They don't have somebody else that can come off the bench, a Robert Covington, if you will, and say, I need 15 minutes against their best scorer, and that's it. That's that's what you need to do in this game. Um, and I think Joe Mazzulla is limited in the options that he has rotationally. Playing Al Horford extended minutes at the power forward position for him to only give you seven points is just not good for anybody. Um, but it's just one game. And Jimmy Butler had a special performance. We've also seen him put up ducks. So I could mm -hmm. see this series going. I, I, this is going to go six or seven games. You know, we've got plenty of time left, but adjustments need to be made for Boston. Missoula continues to take flack and he continues to figure out ways to win games. So hopefully that trend continues if you're a Boston fan. Now, let me ask you all this. And you, I guess, kind of just gave an answer uh, to my question before you heard it right there with uh, saying that he still figures out a way to get these wins, Joe Missoula. But this is his first time in this situation, right? Uh, first year coach. Coming in in that weird, you know, spot where he had to, you know, enter. Everybody knows the story now. And then you look at that third quarter. Do you think in this series his inexperience at this level, at this magnitude, at this level? Now, of course, he, you know, played in huge college basketball games. He's been in these kind of kind of moments before, but he's never quite been in an Eastern Conference Finals. Do you think that his inexperience could end up hurting, uh, hurting them down the line? In my opinion, he's doing all of this on purpose. He's trying to be a player's coach. Uh, which you would expect for somebody that never played in the NBA and is young. I mean, mm -hmm. he's young, as mm -hmm. young as uh, he's probably younger than Al Horford, right? I mean, uh, or at least close to it. I mean, Al Horford was in the league when I think with Joe Mazzulla was still at WVU. Yeah, right. that's what I'm saying. So he's doing this by design. He wants his players. Yeah, he's 34. To, yeah, he wants <laughs> yeah. his players to figure things out. Like that's why he didn't. That's if you were to ask him why didn't you take a timeout in the third quarter, he said, "I trust my guys. I want them to make the play." So he's doing this on purpose. He it's his coaching style. The same way Mike Budenholzer defensively wanted to push teams up towards the top of the key and gave up so many corner threes. That's just one of the the side effects of the way he wants to coach. Is it a good thing? I don't know. And there are a lot of Celtic fans. I mean, Bill Simmons is becoming one of the most annoying people on the internet that the second that the Celtics get eliminated, want Missoula to get fired, even though he did an unbelievable job turning this team around and getting them to the Eastern Conference Finals after what they went through in the offseason. And again, I think it's a roster that's not complete. 
So I think that's just kind of his style. He wants his guys to figure it out. They didn't in game three, but or I'm sorry, in the third quarter of game one. Uh, but at the same time, he's got a player that just set the record for fourth quarter or uh, game seven scoring. So they've got an opportunity to figure things out within themselves. But I just think that's the way that Missoula wants to coach. And I think another thing that needs to be solved is the role players for Boston need to show up in this series. It can't just be Jason Tatum. You're not going to be able to have Jason Tatum do what he did in game seven against the Sixers in this series like that. And likewise, it can't be said for Jimmy Butler. He's not going to be put up 35, five and seven every single game. And he had six steals too, which is ridiculous numbers. He's not going to do that every game in this series. Who is it going to be? Is it going to be Marcus smart? Is it going to be Al Horford? Robert Williams needs to control the paint. He needs to really try and certify a dominance against Bam and Abayo on the boards. If Boston was to win this, because it's a Celtics team that was based around their defense that made their way to the NBA Finals last season. Robert Williams was playing some of the best basketball of his career. He's got to get back to that defensive stalwart in the middle of that defense. And who's going to be that guy? You mentioned it. There's They don't bring a wing off the bench, and I think that is going to hurt Boston come down the stretch if they make it to the Finals and play either Denver or the Lakers. Not having that wing off the bench could be an issue. They they kind of play Brogdon as that wing off the bench, and Brogdon's all 6'3", 6'4". He's a, he's a combo guard at heart and you look at the numbers here Max Struess Gabe Vincent these guys 15 points a piece where, where's that for Boston right now smart added in 13 Al, Al Horford's got to figure something out he I know what he brings defensively but it just feels like he's a liability on offense right now at this stage in his career and do you sacrifice bringing in Brogdon who is smaller but that can add you more points he scored 19 in 37 minutes in relief for Williams and Horford how much small ball are you going to play because it looks like Miami is down to play small ball Struce and Vincent are smaller guards Butler's probably a two guard playing small forward Kevin Love's in the twilight of his career at this point and he's more of a finesse big at that and Adebayo's a six foot eight six foot nine center so are you willing to put more guards out there and sacrifice potentially a little bit on the rebounding end, or are you going to be in a situation where we saw it in the playoffs a couple years ago? Rudy Gobert got absolutely embarrassed, and it was a Golden State. Mm-hmm. If he got absolutely embarrassed in a series in Golden State because they just stretched him out of the paint, they 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 was basically four on five. How's Boston going to respond in Game Two? That's the big takeaway I have after tonight's game. Well, you can text us 304-263-4321 or tweet us at EP Sports Network. And real quick for this break, since I'm getting attacked on Twitter about being from Maryland, <laughs> I gotta, then I'm pretty sure he's listening uh, at the moment. So I got to bring this up uh, just because down at Naval Academy, they do a lot of different uh, like freshmen, they call them plebes, right? It's Naval Academy. They do a lot of different traditions that they have uh, during plebe summer. And one of which is uh, the Herndon Climb. So the Herndon Monuments right in front of uh, the dorms and everything like that. Now, what they do is it's pretty wild. They'll grease it completely with, like, I don't know, cow fat something, right? Lard, whatever it is. And then all these freshmen got to run up and try and climb up this thing and put a hat on top of the monument, right? It's a big deal. And shout out to Chris Paris of Louisville for capping the monument in this year's Herndon Climb. It took him two hours, 31 Shoot. minutes, and 51 oh seconds <laughs> to get up like a <sighs> 10-foot monument, a 10-foot obelisk-type thing. So, I mean, we're on the brink of World War III, and this is what the Navy's doing? Come on, guys. That's eh, the freshmen, dude. <laughs> Let them do what they want to do. Let them have fun. They, they ain't doing too much right now anyways. But shout out to that, and uh, not shout out to my buddy that's attacked me on Twitter right now. <laughs> Don't appreciate that this early in the morning. But we'll step aside one final time, and we'll come back and wrap things up and get Parker's picks on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. 
It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP Sports Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Ice Winner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 luck. Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. All right, we went two for three yesterday. Was thinking we were going to go back-to-back perfects, but sadly, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butlered, and carried Miami to a win. That cost yesterday's lock of the day. Marcus Smart did a hit over his five and a half. He hit that in the first half, which that was a fantastic call to have that Marcus Smart one come up, but he ended up having... Did you just pat yourself on the back for yes, that pick? I love it. Yes, that was a good did. one. I yeah. love it. I love it. I, I, I love Marcus Smart assists. It's very much kind of here or there for the most part, but I think in a series like this, they're going to have to rely on Marcus Smart assisting the basketball to a high level. He ended up with 11 assists in this game. The over-under was five and a half. And then uh, the under for Spencer Strider strikeouts did hit yesterday as well. He, is, he was under nine and a half total strikeouts in that game against the Rangers, which I believe the Braves won. Gonna see here. They did. They won. Boy. They, they won. They won six to five. There you go. As he had a seven strikeouts, seven strikeouts for Spencer Strider yesterday. But we're gonna turn today for Parker's picks. We're gonna go with today's lock of the day. I am going with LeBron James. Is gonna be over 20, 25 and a half total points in Game Two tonight between the Nuggets and the Lakers. This is almost a must-win Game Two for Los Angeles. They gotta steal a game. I think at home against Denver in this series. I think they got a good, they got a good chance to do it. Tonight, and it's going to have to rely heavily on LeBron James. I think he's going to go over that. He's going to get into that mindset that he's in and go over 25.5 total points in Game 2. I also have Nikola Jokic going over 8-plus assists tonight. 8 or more assists for Jokic. The over-under line is at 10.5. I feel like 8 is safe. You can take that, bundle those two together. I think that's a good hit for you as well. As the batting average champ right now out of the Miami, Luis Arise, I got him going 2-plus total bases in the Nats-Marlins game today, that's going to be at 1 o'clock. Luis Arise, I mean, he's just he's con- so consistent in getting at least a single at bat. He's batting over 450, I think, right now. I, so I, I feel very confident in Luis Arise getting two-plus total bases today in their matchup with the Washington Nationals. Also a really fun pitching matchup. Yuri Perez is going to be on the mound for Miami, too, if you guys aren't aware. He's a uh, just called up. He's like six foot eight. Humongous. He's one of the youngest pitchers ever called up to the MLB. He's only 20 years old. So he's he's really exciting. He has a really cool pitch mix, too. So, again, today's lock of the day, LeBron over 25.5 total points. Jokic, 8-plus assists. And Luis Arise is going to get 2-plus total bases in the Nats and Marlins game. Well, here's my lock of the day. Brenton Doyle staying up for good up in Colorado. They get 11-6 win over the Reds yesterday. And Doyle goes 2-for-4. He had two RBIs. Uh, I mean, he's batting 255 now. That average is starting to creep up. I mean... Colorado Rockies Twitter is just nothing but Brenton Doyle pictures and video clips and people talking about how great of a athlete he is, how much of a great component to this team he's turned out to be. And, you know, we had our thoughts, of course, as you always do when a young guy gets up uh, to the show for the first time. How long is he going to be there? You know, is he going to be able to contribute this, that, and the third? And my goodness, Brenton Doyle's done that and some in his short time. Yeah, he's looking good. Uh, and he's got the, like we said, he's got the tools to stay up. Makes Shepard look good, makes him look good. I mean, it's something that the Rockies can use right now, and I hope he continues to succeed. And they're going to need that outfield help come later on in their time because Charlie Blackman, although he's DHing a good bit, I think now for the Rockies, he's in his late 30s. Chris Bryant just turned 30. 
in Profar. He's turned out to be a little bit of a bust in the majors. He was a top prospect a few years back, and he's bounced around the league a little bit. So the staying power, I don't know if Profar is going to have that. Doyle is a person who is going to be consistent in that lineup if they keep building. You look at that roster, too. Michael Taglia was a prospect for Colorado, too, their first baseman, and they got guys coming up like Ezekiel Tovar. He'll be in the middle infield for him. There's potential in this roster, but it's just going to take a little bit of time, kind of like how we mentioned with the Nats and how the O's were a couple of years ago. But the pieces are there, and Brenton Doyle is going to look like a key piece for the Rockies here for the next few years. Then the O's go back-to-back wins over the A's. They get a 3-1 win, or over the A's, over the Angels, get a 3-1 run win over the Angels yesterday. Mullins gets a hit, 2-4 for four for Santander, 2-4 for four for Gunnar Henderson. Austin Hayes gets a hit, or gets a home run. And that lone run uh, for the Angels coming from a Mike Trout homer in the fourth. <laughs> so go figure, Trout gets his uh, homer that almost got robbed, by the way, by Cedric Mullins out in center field. But the O's, man, yes, this is a team they should be beating. Uh, the Angels 22-22 at the moment, but a good win nonetheless at home. Yeah, big start from Kyle Bradish. And the bullpen came in and, and finished the job with Cano and Batista and saw a little Columbia in there too. Uh, but you got a good start from Bradish. Got big hits up and down your lineup. Like you said, you love to see players having multi-hit games, have a chance to play the Angels again today. Now winning your 28th game of the season it increases your lead over the, the Blue Jays to three games. The Yankees, seven and a half games out of first place. You never thought you'd live to see the day. Um, but it, it just continues to be a good stretch of games for the Orioles. They've got that really crucial series coming up over the weekend with the Blue Jays. If you take two out of three from that series and you've got a five-game gap, obviously it's early in the season, but you know you push that team further down the table, and uh, it makes things look pretty good there in Birdland. And again, we've talked this season about the pitching for Baltimore being what's going to push this team and make it make a break for the playoffs. That start for Brad, as you mentioned, that was fantastic. Four hits on almost seven innings of action, five strikeouts. That, that's what you look for right there. Great start. And Cano to Batista is starting to really become a dominant force for Baltimore right now. No hits out of the bullpen. Four strikeouts combined between Cano and Batista to close out the game. The pitching starting to pick it up for Baltimore right now, and the bats are starting to roll. Two guys like Mullins leading off, Rutschman's doing his thing, Santander's had a really good bounce-back season from last year. This team's looking good. It's looking really good, and I have a lot of good feelings about this team coming on later in the season as well. Now I'm trying. I can't remember his. Name. I can't remember his name, and I'm going to get ridiculed for it. But the kid that got drafted, his dad played in the pros forever for the Orioles. He's- Holiday. Jackson, Holiday, yeah, Jackson, Jackson Holiday. Yeah, he's unbelievable. He is he's... tearing things up down in the minor leagues for the good. Orioles. How quick does he get brought up? Now, he's still real young, right? Yeah, he's, he's still 18. real young. But, I mean, if you got the tools to play, you got the tools to play. Now, can he be up the show right now? No. no. But how no. quick do you think he gets up? The question becomes next season because if the Orioles are competing and they think they want a bat, do they roll the dice with him in September next year? Probably not. But that's the first time you could say – he would have a chance at coming up. The Orioles need a stick. He's raking in double-A. Let's bring him up. Uh, if not, I think he's still three years away because you yeah. don't want to start his service clock sooner than you need to. And the O's are good right now, too. So you yeah. don't need and they got Jorge Mateo in the middle infield, who's had a fantastic season as well. Do, do you want to move him around? He's kind of a utility guy. Adam Frazier's in the middle infield, too. Do you want to move him around? Other, play, other factors come into play for that. You don't want to bring him up too soon and mess with his confidence, but he's playing fantastic ball down in double-A right now. 
Well, fellas, got a little less than a minute left. Anything else you want to hit? Yeah, uh, shout out to Man City yesterday, dominating Real Madrid Ooh. to go to the Champions League final. They'll play Inter Milan. Bernardo Silva, Silva had a brace for the soccer fans out there. And Zach Gallen becomes the second player in Major League Baseball to kill a bird. He was throwing <laughs> down the, the, the right field line and, and struck a bird warming up. And coincidentally, the other person to do it, Randy Johnson, also a Diamondback. There you go. There you go. Uh, quick uh, RIP to uh, superstar Billy Graham. He passed away yesterday, hmm. legendary wrestler in the 90s. 1970s was a big focal point of wrestling in the 70s but he passed away last night r.i.p to the superstar that does it for us today if you missed any of the show you can listen back to it a little bit later on on our panhandle news network facebook and spotify page panhandle live is next have a good one we'll talk to you tomorrow wepm martinsburg and wcst berkeley springs a wvrc media station We're proud to live here, too.